Good morning, Hope Bell. If we could all please stand and give God some of our greatest worship today as he opens up the heavens before us. You know, the Bible says that he inhabits the greatest of his people. So as we sing this song, feel free to worship him.
Treasure I find to know it's your life. 
opportunity to just be able to get together and worship you this morning. We thank you for all that you are to us. We thank you for everything you've done. We love you so much. And we pray that you just open our ears and open our hearts this morning. Oh, good morning, everyone. I always tend to forget this, so I'm so sorry. Welcome. We're so happy that you're here this morning. Um, why don't you take a look around, see if there's someone new that you might not know already, and um, say hello. Good morning. Yes. That's what I'm talking about, 930 crowd. You guys are the best. My name is Brent. I'm the student pastor here. I'm so excited to be here. If you have not downloaded our app, if you've ever downloaded our app, we have updated and gotten a new and improved app. And so this app is actually better. It has a lot more for you to do. And we would love for you to download that. Specifically, you can do that right now. Yeah, in church, I'm going to ask you. You can pull out your phone in church. It's weird. Uh, and you can text Hopevale app, all one word, to 77977. Uh, and this app has all sorts of things for you to get connected and all sorts of things for us to be able to help keep you guys in touch. If you're here and you're like, Brent, honestly, I'm just not into apps. I don't know what they are. Like, I get appetizers when I go to eat, but this is a different thing. Uh, Honestly, this is such a good thing because it helps us to throw information to you about upcoming events, about things that are happening. There's an opportunity to give in a safe and secure way on this bad boy. There's all sorts of fun stuff happening, and it's just so worth it. We've been testing it for about a month as a staff, and I love it. I'm so, I just love this app. I think it's so good. Uh, it helps me keep connected even to events that I don't actually run. So there's things that are happening all over our church that you may not know, and this bad boy will tell you. And the coolest part is you can customize it. Specifically, you can go in there and say, I want to know everything about what Brent's doing in students. And it will tell you, which is super exciting. So download this app. Go ahead and get that on there. Standard message rates apply, uh, which I feel the need to say that because they always tell you that. But this is a great thing for you to get. Uh, in, your, in your world. It helps stay connected and all that fun stuff. If you're new here, my name again is Pastor Brent. I am the student pastor. We would love to meet you. If this is your first time or you've like come for like 10 times, you just don't want to meet anybody, I would just, we just want to talk to you. We just want to say, hey, we also have a free gift for you right outside these doors, right in the middle. There's a big desk. It's like a circle, half circle. We would love to say hey to you at our welcome desk and give you a free gift just for stopping by uh, and joining us this morning. There's so many things 
things happening and so many people here, and this is just one way that we help a large context get smaller. It's just by being able to say, hey, have relational equity with you and help you get connected with people that are walking in life alongside of you. Uh, and so if you stop by that desk, that's all we want to do. There's no, there's no strings attached. We just want to say, hey, and get to know you a little bit. We're going to move into a time of offering. And, and during this offering time, there's a couple of things that I just want to tell you are happening in the student world. One of those is our retreat, which is coming up, which you won't see a slide for today uh, because we're going to be throwing it in your face for the next two months. Sorry about that. Uh, but retreat is such a great event. It's such a huge event. If you have high schoolers or 7th through 12th graders at all, send them to that thing. If you know 7th through 12th graders, send them to that. It's a one weekend of the year where we get to put a whole years worth of ministry into one weekend. And then also, four, fifth, and sixth programs are happening, kids' ministry programs are happening, and none of this is possible without your generosity, without you taking time and obedience and offering up your first fruits to God. And, and I just think it's so cool that we are at a church that believes in the next squad of leaders that are coming up through the ranks. And we're in a church that believes that it's not just the next generation, they're also part of this generation. And so we want to say thank you for loving our students and our kids. Uh, and if you've got time or talents that would be in any of those, we are always looking for good people who love Jesus and love students or kids. Uh, and I would just love to meet with you and talk to you about that. I'm going to pray for our offering as the ushers come forward. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that we get to do this. Thank you that we get to be here. God, thank you that we get an opportunity to to share about some of the cool things that are happening in our worlds and, and all of that stuff. And thank you for little technology wins that allow us to stay connected in a, in a world that is increasingly getting less connected. These things allow us to get more connected and they allow us to have opportunities to go to things that we may not know about or we may not hear or, or talk about, but that might you know spark some interest and ultimately lead us into an a further growing relationship with you. And so I pray for the people in this, in this room. I pray for our Bay City campus. I pray for all of the people who will be touched and impacted by something small like a mobile app or something big like a retreat. God, I pray that all of these things come together to have people take one step closer to you in everything we say and do in your name. Amen. This week, I, as some of you know, I have a, just over a one-year-old, and he got sick for the first time this week. He got a little cold, and that might not seem like a big deal, but in my first-time mommy heart, um, it was a huge deal. And I remember him, um, one of these nights, just look, one of the worst nights, just looking at me, crying. He was upset. He was hurting. He was asking me for help. And I remember feeling in that moment that I would do anything to help him, right? As a parent, I mean, anything. And um, it really had me think about my relationship with God and how he is our father, right? And so I took that feeling and I multiplied it by like a gazillion. And that's how God feels towards us. He would do absolutely anything for us because he's our father. 
There may be some of you sitting here today and you're looking up and you're thinking to yourself, I need help. I need help. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to make this better. Just help me. And it may be a little difficult to look up to a God that maybe you don't believe in. But what I want to do today is we're about to sing a song and it's called Goodness of God. And I want to challenge everyone in here, like this song has challenged me this week, to just realize the goodness of God to there, there's a there's a couple words in here that says I love your voice and that pierces me as I sing this song it pierces my heart because all I want to do is hear God's voice and I am sure a lot of you feel the same way and so as we sing this song before we do I just want to take a second and I want to ask you guys to just close your eyes Nothing weird is going to happen, I promise. But just close your eyes. The Bible tells us to just be still and know that he is God. So I want to take just a second, and I want to be still before God. And I really want you to listen for his voice, to feel his voice. just talks about how he's been with us our whole life and he's faithful our whole life whether it feels like it or not you guys God is faithful he is he's gonna be there and my son his cold is gone right God is faithful and he's here to help us and just like all the troubles any troubles that you're feeling they will be gone because God is there and he is faithful and he wants to help you. So as we sing this song, I'm gonna ask you guys just to stand. I'd love for you to remain in that moment of feeling God, feeling his voice, feeling his presence as we sing through this next song.
thank you for your mercies renewing every day. Thank you for no matter how we are or what's going on in our life, you are nothing but good to us. And I just pray that as we go through today, God, that we love your voice. That we love you like a father, we love you like a friend. That we go after your heart, Lord, and we just ask that you open up the heavens. We love you so much, God, and we give you everything. Just like you give everything and gave everything for us. We love you. In your name, amen. You can have a seat. morning, Hopevale. It is great to see a full house on a beautiful, sunny, albeit frigid February Sunday morning. And great to have you with us. Want to welcome aboard our Bay City group as well. So glad that you're meeting in John Glenn High School today for worship. And let me tell you, I'm hearing a lot of great things about what's going on there. Great start to 2020 and looking forward to what God is going to do through Hopevale in Bay City. Last week, we kicked off our sermon series for the month of February entitled Leap. Leap, four commitments worth making. Because that's essentially what a commitment is, right? It is a leap. It's a leap from the certainty of one place into the uncertainty of another. And so week by week, we are looking at four different areas, four different commitments that represent different areas of our lives where making and keeping those commitments will grow us spiritually, will benefit us personally, and will bless others tremendously. So last week, we looked at the leap into church, specifically this local church called Hopevale, and the value of being committed here, with us, together, Being reminded that as Christians, we don't just go to church, we are the church. Well done, right? We are the church. We belong to Jesus and we belong to his body. It is a package deal. That is why your commitment to Jesus is best worked out through your commitments at Hopevale. Now, those commitments are going to look different for each one of us, but we all need to examine our lives and ask questions like, am I committed to worship here? Am I committed to connect here? Am I committed to serve here? Am I committed to grow here? Am I committed to give here? Am I committed to invite here? Now, again, like I said last week, this isn't about comparison or competition, but it is about all of us pursuing our life with Jesus our life with people, and our life with purpose. And as part of our church, we're doing that in community and on mission together, which is just the way God designed it to be. And so if you missed last week, I encourage you to check out the message online or go to the new mobile app that you heard about today. 
Well, today as we continue on in the series, I want to talk about a second leap, a second commitment that's worth making, and that is the commitment of marriage. The commitment of marriage. Now, in talking about marriage, I think back to last week in my introduction to the message where I said that the very idea of commitment for our culture is becoming increasingly more unusual more obsolete, and in some cases, me even more offensive. And one of the biggest places you see this in our society is with marriage. Marriage, both the statistical trends as well as the contemporary attitudes. The Pew Research Center is recognized as one of our nation's foremost leaders in researching the numbers, the facts, and the trends that shape our world. And in November of just last year, they published their findings on marriage and cohabitation in the United States. And it's a fascinating study, and while we don't have time to go through all their findings, all the research, all the analysis, all the conclusions, I do want to share a few things that I found interesting. That first of all, with more adults delaying marriage or foregoing it altogether, they found that for the first time ever, right, in our nation's history, first time ever, The percentage of U.S. adults, 18 to 44, who've lived with a romantic partner is now higher than the percent who've ever been married. Let me read that again. For the first time ever, the percent of U.S. adults, 18 to 44, who've lived with a romantic partner is now higher than the percent who've ever been married. Here are the numbers behind that research. So, again, adults 18 to 44, that in 2002, uh, the number who had cohabitated was 54%. That has now gone up to 59%. Conversely, the percent who've ever been married in 2002 was 60%. Now, it's 50%. And if trends continue, it looks like that will dip under over the next decade. And see, these numbers just essentially reflect the attitudes about marriage and cohabitation out there. So when surveyed, the percent of adults saying that's acceptable for an unmarried couple to live together, 69% said yes, even if they have no plans to get married at all. Another 16% said yes, with plans to marry. And then 14% said never. 69%, yes, regardless of whether there are no plans or not. Now, I know we have a few math geeks out there, and I'm just going to tell you this adds up to 99%, right? Because 1% didn't answer. I don't want you to be bothered by that for the rest of the message, okay? I just, yeah. Right. It's interesting when you dig further into these numbers with the age group 18 to 29, this acceptable no Exceptions number is 78%. And then really when you look at age brackets, it kind of stir steps down. But even for the 65 and older group, this yes, no exceptions is uh, 63%. And see, all these numbers are just the tip of the iceberg. That no matter how you slice it, marriage just doesn't seem as popular or necessary as it used to. Now again, like I said last week, this series on commitment, whether I'm talking about marriage or anything else, is not some old guy boomer rant, right, where I'm shaking my fists, wringing my hands, and wishing for the good old days to come back. No, this is just one fellow Christian who happens to be a pastor, wondering with another why things are the way they are when it comes to commitment, and more specifically for today, when it comes to marriage. 
And so today I want us to have a frank talk about marriage this morning. And as I do that, I realize, right, I realize that we have every possible life situation in this room, right? Every kind. And with some of those situations, I also want to acknowledge that I know there's some pretty hurt feelings and some very raw emotions when it comes to this subject of marriage. So we have married couples and we have cohabitating couples, those who are planning to get married and those who have no plans at all. And with those couples, we've got new relationships, we've got seasoned relationships. We've got relationships that are thriving and relationships that are barely surviving. As a matter of fact, I know there are some of you here today who feel like you're on the brink, brink of separation, brink of divorce because things are so bad. I also know we have plenty of singles here too, younger adults, older adults, those who wish you were married and those of you who are glad you're not. And with those of you who are single, some of you were once married, but you're now divorced. Some maybe thankfully, others very painfully. Among our singles, I know that we have widows and widowers. Last month, I officiated a funeral where a newly widowed husband had to say goodbye to his wife after 65 wonderful years of marriage. 65 years. And then finally, I know that we have the younger generation of our church with us, teens and below. And here you are, you're coming up with your own thoughts about marriage because you're taking everything that you see going on around you, right? You see it in your home or homes, if it's the case of a shared custody situation. In the church, in media, in culture, everywhere else you look around, you're trying to make sense of marriage. Now, maybe I didn't touch on every possible scenario. My point is this, is that even though we're all at different ages and stages of life, each one of us has to make sense of marriage. We have to make sense of marriage and what to do with it. What does marriage mean to each one of us personally? And what does marriage mean to us collectively, both here in the church as well as society as a whole? So to start the conversation, I want to ask the question, why? Why? Why do you think the popularity of marriage continues to decline? Well, we might have our own theories, right? But for me, like a lot of complex problems, I don't think there's one simple answer here. I don't. No, I'm sure the changes in numbers and attitudes in marriage is a result of numerous factors. Culturally, economically, religiously, experientially. Matters of convenience, matters of conviction. It's all mixed in there. And yet, I can't help but wonder if what we looked at last Sunday, when it comes to our fears of committing to something, if fear just might be one of the biggest reasons of them all, if not the biggest. More specifically, when adults think about getting married and committing to a relationship, for many, they think commitment leads to confinement. Commitment leads to confinement. That I do means I'm done. (laughs) That feeling of being trapped, being stuck, That when you say I do, you are shutting off every other possible option out there for you. You're giving up your freedom. And then you're left to question for the rest of your life, not only if you really made the quote-unquote right choice, but then also wondering about everything else you're missing out on because you said till death do us part. And so when it comes to marriage for many, commitment feels like 
confinement. And let's face it, when is confinement ever a good thing? When does confinement ever lead to happiness, right? And so why should we get married if it's not going to make us happy? Now, I know I shouldn't say this as a pastor, but when you put it that way, I get the appeal of cohabitation. I get the appeal, I do, of two romantic partners living together without the confining feeling of forever, where cohabitation is, is more like um, commitment-ish. <laughs> commitment yeah, I made that word up, right? Okay. So I'm not saying that two people living together aren't committed to each other. I'm sure they are at some level. I'm just saying that with cohabitation, the stakes are lower and the exit plans are easier. Commitment-ish. Now, if I keep on going down this road much longer, I'm afraid I'm going to talk myself out of being married, right? So, <laughs> so instead of lingering on this whole idea of commitment leads to confinement, what if I told you that there's a different way to think about marriage? That there's a different way to think about marriage. After all, I've spent the first part of this message talking about marriage from a cultural perspective. But what if we looked at it from a Christian perspective? Like I said last week, while this is the culture we live in, right, we're a part of it with all these attitudes and trends about marriage around us. For us as followers of Jesus, we're called to find our life direction ultimately from the pages of Scripture and more specifically from the words of our Savior. Jesus, who taught timeless truth that is relevant for every era. Every era, including ours. So do we really know what God intends for marriage? And can we have the faith to believe and to live out something different than what we see around us? Because if we can, I believe that we will discover that when it comes to marriage, that in Christ, commitment leads to contentment. Not confinement, but commitment in Christ, getting married, leads to contentment. That God really does have our best in mind when we make and keep our marriage commitments his way. So that when you say in your marriage vows forsaking all others, you're trusting him that those limits will actually lead you into greater life. And guess what? They will, because when it comes to marriage in Christ, commitment leads to contentment. It does. So let's talk more about that for the rest of our time together. And as we do, I first need to explain something that maybe you've never thought about before when it comes to committed romantic relationships. I know I started the message contrasting cohabitation and marriage, but for the sake of our discussion here, I want you to think about three different options, not two. Right? That when it comes to committed romantic relationships, there are three different options out there, not two. Let me show you what I mean. That when it comes to three types of committed romantic relationships, there's cohabitation, there's civil marriage, and then there's Christian marriage. Cohabitation, civil marriage, Christian marriage. And all those stats I was citing from the Pew Research Center are contrasting these first two, right? Cohabitation and civil marriage. Now you might be wondering, Pastor Dan, what are you talking about when you say civil marriage? Well, I'm talking about formally getting married in the eyes of the state. So in the case of Saginaw County, Bay County, it's getting a license from the county courthouse. It's having that document filled out after whatever ceremony is performed, whether it's religious or irreligious. 
including the signatures of the couple getting married, the signatures of two other witnesses, and the person performing the marriage ceremony who's officially recognized by the state, right? And that person could be a pastor, could be a priest, could be a justice of the peace, could be that uncle of yours who got some certification over the internet, right? I mean, it happens. Sign that license. That is civil marriage, where two people are essentially entering into a legal agreement that is recognized by the state, as is currently dictated by the laws of the land, that marriage can be two people of the same gender or of the different genders, the laws of civil marriage. Now, at the risk of going viral, the risk of my words being taken completely out of context, when it comes to those first two options, cohabitation and civil marriage, I have a preference, but it's not a huge one. I have a preference, but it's not a huge one. Don't get me wrong. If you're going to ask me to choose between the two, I'm going to choose civil marriage. Because to me, it means that each partner has more skin in the game, that they're going to stay committed to each other, which is especially important with children involved, right? Who need the security of a stable home environment. But as a pastor, I am not going to get too worked up over a cohabitating couple who doesn't want to jump through the hoops of the state or spend thousands of dollars to throw a party. But now that I have your attention, I do want to talk about this third option of Christian marriage because it's different. Now, there are a few different ways you can define Christian marriage, but I'd put it this way. That a Christian marriage is not about a wedding that happens in a church, but rather it's about a marriage that puts Jesus in the center. Christian marriage is not about a wedding that happens in a church, but rather it's about a marriage that puts Jesus in the center. So where you have your wedding ceremony doesn't determine a Christian marriage. And who officiates that ceremony doesn't automatically determine that either. And so just because a couple gets married in a church and by a clergy person, it doesn't automatically mean that theirs is a Christian marriage. Okay, I, I, I gotta, like, probably have confused you here, so let's dive a little deeper and take a look. This is the contrast between civil marriage and Christian marriage, right? That in civil marriage, you're making a commitment in the eyes of the state. In a Christian marriage, you're making a commitment in the eyes of the Lord. Both make promises, but in a civil marriage, you are making promises between each other. In a Christian marriage, you're, you're doing this, but you're also making promises before God. In a word, the civil marriage is about a contract. Christian marriage is about a covenant. Now, just to be clear, when a man and woman get married in a ceremony performed by a Hopevale pastor, whether it's here in the church building or somewhere else off-site, we're technically performing both ceremonies together, Right? So that in their vows, a couple makes their promises to each other and to God. But when the wedding's over, we as pastors oversee the signing of the marriage license, and we do that to honor what the state requires. And as Christians, it's important we do that. After all, Jesus himself said, what? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? Render unto God what is God's, right? But again, I, I don't want us to get caught up in the technicalities of the wedding ceremonies. What's this? I want us to understand the difference between these two types of marriage. And again, if I had to boil it down to just one thing, it's the contrast here between the words contract 
and covenants. Contracts are conditional. Well, covenants are permanent. Contracts emphasize the need of the individual through the lens of me. Covenants elevate the good of the relationship through the lens of we. Contracts can be broken if the arrangement no longer meets my needs. Well, covenants are meant to endure because I made a promise not just to someone else, I also made a promise to God. A promise to God. And after all, he is the one who invented marriage. See, marriage ultimately finds its origins in the Bible and not in the government. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning of mankind that in Genesis chapter 2, we're told that the woman was created out of the man and for this very reason, a man should leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and become one flesh. This is how God designed marriage, a design that is affirmed by Moses in the Old Testament as well as the Apostle Paul and Jesus in the New Testament. That's why one of my favorite scriptural definitions comes from the late Christian pastor and author, John Stott. He says this, a lot of words, but they all have meaning, that marriage is the exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman, sanctioned by God, preceded by a public leaving of parents, consummated in sexual union, issuing in a permanent, mutually loving partnership. Permanently, mutually loving partnership. And see, there's that word again, covenants, right? Covenants, so that when I say I do, I'm not just entering into a civil contract. No, in Christian marriage, I am before God committing myself to a permanent, mutually loving partnership. This is God's design for a husband and a wife. And when there is this shared commitment of exclusive marital covenants, then a husband and a wife can discover, like I said earlier, that commitment right, will lead to contentment. Commitment will lead to contentment and not confinement. So having laid out this vision for marriage, I wish we could stop right there and call it a day. I mean, wouldn't it be great if just knowing this would be enough to get a couple through the ups and downs, right? To know the definitions, right? And that would be it. So that all the misunderstandings, all the disagreements, all the fights, all the arguments, all the harsh words, all the hurt feelings that can come with marriage. I mean, wouldn't it be great if knowledge was enough? Unfortunately, as any married or separated or divorced person knows from their own personal experience, it's not enough. It's not. No, there is a big difference between knowing the right thing to do versus being able to actually do it. Being able to actually do it at the right time in the right way and with the right attitude. That's why we need to understand that Christian marriage is not only ideal, but on our own, it's also impossible. Christian marriage, yeah, it's the ideal, but on our own, it's also impossible. I mean, think about it. For me to consistently put the needs of my spouse ahead of my own, it's impossible. For me to always forgive and never hold a grudge when I feel like I've been wronged, it's impossible. For me to resist the temptation of believing that commitment really is confinement and there might be a better option out there for me, it's impossible. That's why, pay attention, a Christian marriage needs Christ. 
And Christian marriage needs Christ. We need Jesus living in us and working through us if we're ever going to rise above our own selfishness and love our spouse sacrificially in the way that a Christian marriage covenant deserves. That's why I need to tweak something I said earlier about contentment. Here it is, right? Commitment leads to contentment, which comes from refinement. Which comes from refinement. The painful and purifying refining process that happens when we know Jesus personally as a Christian and are committed to follow him more fully as a disciple. And let me tell you, there is nothing more refining than marriage. I think Kathy's coming to the the second service, but she would say amen to that, right? That being married to me has been a refining process for her. (laughs) Yet over time... As we mature spiritually, the frequency of me always needing to get my own way should go down, while the desire of me wanting to do God's will should go up. Me wanting to get my way go down. Me of wanting to do God's will goes up. And actually, it's not just about the desire, the want to, but it's also about the power, the able to. Now, I'm not going to sugarcoat this for you. God's refining process to make you less selfish and more sacrificial, it isn't easy and it isn't fun, but it is more than worth it. I think of these words of Jesus who said this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. In verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, his followers, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Like I said, the painful, purifying process of refinement. Now look at this, verse 25. Jesus goes on to say, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Refinement as a disciple will seem like, and it will feel like death. Like you're losing your life. But while it will feel that way, the fact is you're actually in the process of finding and experiencing even more capital L life with Jesus. You are, and guess what? That the more you experience this capital L life with Jesus, the less demanding you're going to be of your spouse to meet the God-sized needs in your life that they can't or no one else is capable of meeting, right? They can't meet those God-sized needs in your life and no one else can either. No, not the younger flirtatious co-worker at your office and not the stronger, more understanding fitness partner at your gym either. No one can meet those needs but Jesus. No, capital L life is only found in him. And it becomes ours when we're willing to follow him wherever he leads and whatever he calls us to do. This is true of marriage and this is true of any other area of our life as a disciple of Jesus because discipleship means refinement, right? Discipleship means refinement. And so for the rest of our days, our loving God is going to continue to refine us to make us more and more like Jesus for our good and for his glory. And so in Christ. Our marriage commitment will lead to contentment, but only if it comes through our refinement. And so as we begin to wind down, 
As we think about what this means for our own lives, I need to tell you something that I don't think you're going to want to hear, okay? Especially those of you who are married here. That in all my years as a pastor doing marriage counseling, never once have I had a person come straight out and admit that they were the problem in the marriage. Yeah, we're in here because I'm the one, right? It's not my spouse. They're perfect. No, it's me, right? That's never happened. Now, I, I guess there are a few exceptions, right? There, there's the one spouse who has been caught red-handed in an extramarital affair, the humiliation of that, right? Something serious and obvious like that. But for the most part, no, it's usually something like she spends too much. He's never home. She's so bossy. He's so inconsiderate. She talks all the time. He never talks at all, right? So you want to change all that? And start by working on yourself and your issues. Better yet, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. Follow Jesus and let him work on you and your issues. Let him work with you and let him work for you. I can hear it now. But Pastor Dan, you do not understand my situation. You don't know who I'm married to. And you know what? In one sense, you're right. I don't. But in another sense, you're wrong. No, I don't know all the details, but I do know this, right? That marriage... (laughs) Wait for the punchline... Marriage is the union between two people who have yet to be cured entirely of their own selfishness, and so they need to do a lot of forgiving. That's pretty good, isn't it? Marriage is the union between two people who have yet to be cured entirely of their own selfishness, and so they need to do a lot of forgiving. I know that's true about your marriage because it's true of ours, and it's true about every other marriage I've ever run into. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, married or not, your goal, you know what your goal is? It's to become less selfish and more forgiving. Less selfish and more forgiving. Always remembering up here, always remembering in here how much our Lord has forgiven you. That's why the Apostle Paul in Colossians 3.13 says, forgive, forgive others just as the Lord has forgiven you. And so if you want my advice, that's where you start. Now, I'm not going to say that it's going to fix everything in your marriage right away. Nor am I suggesting that there isn't some hard work ahead of you as a couple down the road. Because there probably is. Nor am I saying that your spouse is completely blameless either, because they're not. As a matter of fact, I do know that there are times when certain dangerous And abusive situations exist. And if they exist for you, you need to get out and get help. You do. But for the most part, for the majority of marriages, change starts with you. It starts with you. Even if you are only 5% to blame for your problems as a couple, start with your 5%. See, not only is that the best place for you to start, but also here's the thing, and you know this, you really know this, that you can't change your spouse. You can't, but you know what? You can influence them to change. You can influence them to change. 
That if Jesus is changing you as you follow him, you can influence them to change. That if you are becoming less selfish and more forgiving, it is going to make a difference. It is because there is nothing quite like the transformative power of capital L life in Jesus working in and through his disciples. And so have the faith, have the courage to start with yourself. So here at Hopevale, whether you're a single, whether you are cohabitating, whether you're married, whether you're divorced, we want to help all of you follow Jesus more fully. We want to help you grow as a Christian. And even more specifically, we want to help you do that with whatever life situation you're in. And so if you're single and you have never been married, we want you to know that you are not a second-class citizen in our church. You're not. We value your presence here, and we would not be the same kind of church without you. To minister our singles, we have groups that are part of our group life ministry. We have our aftershop group that meets for 20s and 30s that meets weekly here on Tuesday nights. We also have a new group called Singles Connecting in Christ that actually is starting later this week, and you can find out more about that at our welcome desk, also by going online in our group life ministry. If you're a cohabitating couple, I want to challenge you with the commitment to marriage. The commitment to marriage, and not just civil marriage, but Christian marriage, where Jesus is at the center of your relationship. See, here at Hopevale, we are very intentional about preparing couples for a lifetime of Christian marriage, whether they're already engaged or they're just considering marriage. We have a pre-established premarital counseling process. It includes meeting with a pastor. It includes going through a wonderful class. And we do that because we want to set couples up for success over the long haul. Because marriage is worth it. Marriage is worth it. For those of you who are married, first of all, you need to be in church together with each other. See, Christian marriage works best when faith in Jesus is both personally held and shared together. If you're struggling in your marriage right now, you need to know you're not alone and you're not unusual, right? As perfect as everyone looks on a Sunday morning, it's not that way. And the ideal of Christian marriage is really hard. It's one of the reasons why we're offering a marriage class beginning in March that you'll hear more about next week. It's also why we've established a wonderful referral network with Christian counselors all throughout the Great Lakes Bay region. And so that if your marriage needs serious help, we can help you make those connections. And then finally, for those of you who are divorced, I want you to know that divorce is not the unpardonable sin. Maybe you've felt that, maybe you've heard it, but divorce is not the unpardonable sin. There is life after divorce. There is, but to be honest, that life is going to be just as refining as marriage is, if not more. Because if you're going to do this well, you're going to need to have the humility to take responsibility for whatever part you played, even if it is just 5%, to take responsibility. And you're also going to need to let go of any bitterness that you're carrying and to take steps toward forgiveness. Now, taking steps toward forgiveness will feel like death. 
but will also lead you to greater capital L life with Jesus. That's why I'm glad we're looking into launching another divorce care group sometime later this year so that you can walk through your journey together in community and discover anew that there really is hope for everyone. Well, as I close, as I put a bow on this message and talking about marriage, I want to go back to something I mentioned briefly last week. We're going through a list of seven fears of commitment. And I said as an aside how I, as a child of divorce, carried that around, right? carried that fear around as a young adult, how it made me hesitant to take the leap into the commitment of marriage. I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to inflict hurt. I didn't want to get hurt. I had seen the damage that was done, and in my family tree, there's at least three generations of divorce. That's my legacy. And yet, here I am, 30-plus years later after saying I do, and I'm glad I took the leap. See, when it comes to commitment as a follower of Jesus, whether marriage or anything else, you and I, we're never going to have all the guarantees we want before we leap. You're never going to have all the guarantees you want before you leap, except for one. One guarantee The promise of the Lord's presence with you and his power for you. His presence with you and his power for you. And that is enough. After all, if God is for us, who can be against us? See, you are not alone when you take the leap into marriage. You are not alone if you're a single person who wants to take the leap, but there's no one there to leap with you. And you are not alone if you did take that leap in the past and it didn't go quite as planned. No, Jesus is with you. Jesus is for you. And so whatever station of life you find yourself in, whatever your relationship status might be, start by following Jesus. Start by following Jesus. Because that commitment, even though it's going to mean some refinement, will lead you to contentment. It really will. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we really do want to hear your voice. That in a world of a lot of loud, clamoring, competing voices, yours is the voice of truth. Yours is the voice of grace. And so when it comes to marriage, one topic, a million and one different life situations, thank you that your will towards us is good. And your plans, though they seem chaotic around us, your plan for marriage is perfect. And so for those who are married, May they, as followers of Jesus, submit themselves to the refining process of discipleship, knowing that commitment leads to contentment. And for those who aren't married, may they follow you too, knowing that their commitment to you will lead to contentment. Oh God, we're lost without you. 
but with you, we've got everything we could ever want or need. And so even as we leave this place, as we think about what you are saying to our hearts and about our own life situation, speak to us. We want to hear, we want to follow, and we want to obey you, Jesus. This we pray in your name. Amen. That's what we want to do as we close. So would you stand with us as the worship team leads?
Yeah, change begins with each one of us. And when we sing as a response, speak what is true, you need to know that the Lord's voice is not only a voice of truth, but it's a voice of love, and it's a voice of hope. If you find yourself in a place in life right now where you need hope, listen to his voice. There are these moments that happen in a church service where we feel the stirring and we want to resist it. My encouragement to you is listen. Listen, follow, and obey. Next week, we're going to continue our LEAP series. We're going to talk about the commitment, the LEAP into giving and generosity. But as you go from here, may you follow the voice of God in your life. God bless you.